life, we have the opportunity to uh, pastor here. So we're excited for you to, to be here. I chose a simple verse today, um, so we won't be too complicated. Um, if it's been a while since you've been in church, maybe you know this one. It's John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. The John 3.16 TPT version says it this way. For here is the way God loved the world. He gave his only unique son as a gift. So now everyone who believes in him will never perish but experience everlasting life. Father, we thank you for your word. It's sufficient. It's powerful. So we ask that you would do what only you can do. Bless us. Give fruit to your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Let everybody say it. Amen. You could be seated today. Um, I have four boys. I don't know if any of you have some children as well. Um, but they often get into disagreements. And when they do, um, they all have versions of the story of how it actually went down. I never know which one's telling the truth because they all believe their own lie. Man, that a preach right there. Like they are totally, I put it, I put it on my mama. I promise on, don't promise on God. You're going to go to hell, son. Don't do that. I promise. And, and, and what you have to do is start collecting witness. When you have enough kids, you get like jury duty. You call them to early jury duty. And you're like, come in here. Okay, tell me what happened. I even have this one trick. I'm like, hey, you going to tell me the truth? Um, I got a camera in your room. You know that? So I already saw everything. So this is the chance for you to tell the truth before I go review the camera that, and let you know that I already know the truth. And um, I don't have a camera in the room, and they know that now. So now they always say, check the camera. Go check the camera in my room. Let me see the camera. There's no camera. Just trying to get the real version of what actually happened. I didn't know that being a parent would actually, in some levels, make you a detective. And you'd have to figure out the rest of your life who's telling the truth or not. You try to do some scary religion on them. You try to do all kinds of things to get these kids to tell the truth. And uh, what I kind of realize is um, that a lot of times people live their versions of their stories. And there are two different versions. There's the version that you're writing and you're telling. There's the version God wants to tell of your story. Humanity had a version and God had a version. God said, I want to make uh, humans and I want to make them in my image and I want them to look like me and I want them to, to walk with me in the cool of the day. I put them in this beautiful garden so they can walk with the voice of God in the cool of the day where there's peace and joy. And he's like, everything that you need now and for the future, you already possess it in this garden. Adam, Eve, look at this garden. Just enjoy it, work it, have fun, make love to each other. Not on Christmas service. Don't talk about that, Pastor. Don't talk about that. They freely made love in the garden. If there's kids in the house, I'm so sorry. That's how you got here, by the way. <laughs> there's three people. Yes, tell them. That's weird. Amen. He said, everything you need now for the future, 
you have in this garden. Just don't touch that tree because that tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, is based off performance. It's based off of measurements of uh, striving and self-effort. And you're going to base your whole life trying to be better, bigger, and run faster by your own performance if you partake of this tree. And so the enemy came and said, hey, you know, he made a big deal about this tree. And uh, if you eat this tree, you'll be more like God. The issue and the lie of the enemy was that humans would be more like something they were already like because they were made in the image of God. And so the lie was that if you do this, if you perform, if you, uh, if you eat of this, then you'll be like something you already are. That's why it's so good to be saved in Jesus because I'm fully accepted, I'm fully loved. So when the enemy comes and says, hey, you can be fully accepted and fully loved uh, when you do these things. No, I'm already fully accepted and already fully loved. And everything I need now for the future, I already possess in the wonderful work of Christ. Because man said, give me the pen and let me write the version of my story that I want to live where I'm the superhero of my own story there was a curse in the world, and the Bible talks about that curse in Genesis chapter 3. To the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children, and you shall desire for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And then Adam, he said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat of, uh, cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat it all the days of your lives. There's a curse over humanity, and the curse of woman was that they would have multiplied sorrow in childbearing. And I have a question that I love to ask is, if, child, if the pain of childbearing was such a curse, then why do y'all keep having babies? Because the, the curse wasn't the pain of physical childbearing, the curse was that in those days, a woman, to feel significance, she wanted to give her husband a child, or otherwise she would feel like she had no worth. And Rachel was a barren woman in the Bible who said, uh, give me a baby or else I'll die. She was saying, it's so painful to not have a child for my husband, because if I can't give my uh, husband a child, I'll never have his love. And so the curse is that women feel like they need to give themselves away or they need to perform in order to receive love. And men have this curse where they tie their identity and their work. And, and you, you go and meet somebody, you say, hey, what's your name? And then the second question you ask is, what do you do? Because who you are is probably determined and, and, and tied to what you do. Because men love to put their identity in their accomplishments. And that's why when they get married, they say, you need to respect me because I work so hard. Let the women say amen. She's like, I don't respect you. I work just as hard as you do. <laughs> that is the pain that, that is the story that we've been living from with this version. And from this story, um, there's a few pins that we've used. And one of those pins in humanity when the Bible said that your sorrow would be greatly multiplied in your pain is we take this pin of pain and we begin to write the scripts of our life from the perspective of the pain that we've experienced in our life. 
And I want to tell you today, I know that everybody here has a story of pain in your life. But I want you today to know just because you've had moments of pain and chapters of pain, and some of you, some extra clips of pain and some extended stories of pain, just because you've had those moments of pain doesn't make your whole life painful. I remember uh, going to the dentist and I told him, my mouth hurts so bad. And he said, which tooth is it that hurts? And I said, this one, all of them, my whole mouth hurts because I couldn't identify where the pain was. And so he took this device and put some cold stuff on it and he started touching the, uh, the, the teeth and he said, does this one hurt? I was like, yeah, that hurts. Does this one hurt? Yeah, that one hurts. And then when he hit the tooth that actually really had the issue, I said, oh, this one really hurts. And he said, okay, now we're going to need to x-ray to see actually what the issue is in the tooth that actually has the problem is so we can deal with the issue. And when I said my whole mouth hurts, what I didn't realize is the pain was coming from a particular place, but that particular place was uh, causing me to experience pain in every area of my life. Your, your marriage may not be painful, but your childhood may have caused pain in your marriage. Because pain becomes this filter into which we see everything when we have these painful moments and we start writing the scripts of our pain. And we start giving ourselves our own prescriptions to our pain. I know that everybody here has written on pain because I know that pain is universal. But pain is also very specific. Pain is universal, which means we've all experienced it. But grief is unique, which means nobody's experienced your pain like you've experienced your pain. Because your pain is perceptional. Your pain, they don't know the de Grief is details. You don't know the details because you weren't there to live them. But grief shows the details of my story. You're seeing, uh, you're seeing the cleft notes, but you ain't seen the details that I had to live when I wrote this story. And there's a lot of pain in the details. And grief is unique. But sorrow is specific. At the, at the depth of the pool of pain begins sorrow. And there are levels to our brokenness. So don't compare your brokenness to mine and I won't compare mine to yours because there's levels to the brokenness of humanity. When we get our heart broke, it's called grief. When we get our mind broke, it's called trauma from things we weren't supposed to see as humans. When we get our spirits broke, it's called despair and depression. And the Bible says, Psalms 34, he's near to the brokenhearted. And he saves those who are crushed in spirit. Because grief needs closeness. But those who are broken in their spirit, they need rescued. Grief needs a phone call. But sorrow needs somebody to come to the house and pull you out of bed and say, you, you got to go brush them corn on the cob teeth right now because you... You've been sitting here, you got to get up out of bed, and I'm going to love you. Throw some water on your face, baby. We're going to make this together. So many times, pain becomes the story that we begin to write, and we use the pen, and everything is painful. And some of you came to church today, and it's been a long time, and you're like, this is painful. Just because you're church experience and your church history and what you know church to be. They just want your money. We didn't even take an offering today, so if you want to give, go ahead. Pain, 
everything written in pain. We also write with, with pride. We also write and we take a pen and we use and write with pride. Now, I know all of you here today, pain was for you. Pain is universal, but pride is for your neighbor. And pride is for the people that's sitting by you. But I want to tell you today, we all have struggled with pride. Isaiah 14, 13 said, For you said to yourself, I will ascend to heaven and set my throne above God's stars. I will preside on the mountain of God far away in the north. I will climb the highest mountains and be like the most high God. This, this, is, this is how we write here. We write that we're the hero and everybody else is the villain. And we're the Spider-Man, we're the Superman, we're the Wonder Woman, while everybody else is out to try to destroy the world while we're trying to save the world. And this is how pride writes. It writes in statements, not in, not in sentences. And it says, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned in a sacred mountain. I will ascend above the clouds. I will have Christmas at my house, not your mother-in-law's house. I will make myself the most high. I will... Did I say something that hit somebody uh, just a few sentences ago? Let's keep going. I will get that job. I will get that man because I'm fine and I don't care if she likes him. That's my man. That's my boo. God already promised me I will. I don't care how many hearts he's got to break because he's going to keep my heart in Jesus' name. I will. Whoever has the I will is not interested in hearing your story, only sharing theirs. The I will people are the people that are in a relationship that are always right. If you had a friend list and you're like, hey, uh, I want to get some friends. I want to have some friends. Wouldn't you put on that as a quality? I want somebody on your Tinder app. I want somebody who is always right. They're always right. Some of you have this and you are always right. Always right. And you, you're too humble to say that you're always right. You, you're not going to say that. But you will say that they're always wrong. But if you say that they're always wrong, by default you're saying that you're always right. If you say they never apologize to me, that means they're always wrong and you're always right. Oh, come on. I wish there was an amen in this house today. <laughs> Maybe we're going to have to tell on our neighbors. Am I talking to your neighbor right now? I'm not talking to you. But am I talking to your neighbor? I see the family. You're quiet right now. I see y'all. <laughs> I will. I will. We have humility. We're quiet. Just because you're quiet doesn't mean you're humble. We write with pride. The other one we write with is we're in this pursuit for happiness. I just want to be happy. My friend, they don't make me happy anymore. Gone. My church sings too long, <laughs> yells too loud, keeps calling out people in the crowd. Gone. I want this pursuit of pleasure. The Bible says 
there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. A quote, one quoted, they said, the sure way to misery is to choose what makes you happy. Because ultimately, as we choose what makes us happy in circumstances, that will not make us happy eternally. Because happiness is based off what's happening, but joy comes from the Lord. I love Galatians. It says in uh, verse 18, why don't you choose to be led by the Spirit and so escape the erratic compulsions of a law-dominated existence? It is obvious what kind of life develops out of trying to get your own way all the time. Repetitive, loveless, cheap sex, a stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage, frenzied and joyless grabs for happiness. You're like, I'm happy at church on Sunday, and I'm happy at the club on Saturday. I'm happy to lift my hands high on Sunday, and I'm happy to drop it like it's hot on Saturday. Come on, where you at? <laughs> Don't tell on yourself right now. <laughs> I'm grabbing joyless grabs of happiness, looking to my spouse, looking to my kids, looking to everything in my job and my work to try to make me happy. And I'm writing what's going to make me happy. And what makes you happy today won't make you happy tomorrow. And what makes you happy today as we pursue the pleasures of this life this is how humans write their story from the filter of pleasure and pride and pain. And then we are stuck with this story of brokenness and stuck with the story of humanity and weaving through relationships that have hurt us in deep ways. And we come to the point, and I'll close with this, where how is the version of your story as you as the author going? Perhaps some of you are like, it's going pretty good. But I want to tell you that God has a better version of the story than you could ever write. Psalm 1820, David said this, God made my life complete when I placed all the pieces before him. He gave me a fresh start. Now I'm alert to God's ways, and I don't take it for granted. Every day I review the ways he works. I try not to miss a trick. I feel put back together, and I'm watching my step. God rewrote the text of my life when I opened the book of my heart to his eyes. And perhaps you came today with a story, but their story is just a chapter because it's not over yet. And you're in a season where there's blank pages. I would ask that you surrender your pen today for the scripture declares, looking unto Jesus, who is the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God.
Perhaps you came for a deep message, but it doesn't get deeper than this. John 3.16 is the Christmas story. For God so loved the world. That so love is different than just that love. Like, I'm not old, but I'm getting older. And the older I get, the more emotional I get. Probably has something to do with low testosterone hormones. I don't know what's going on. Had four babies. I'm tired. <laughs> but my wife was driving me to the, the airport, and I was, like, crying because I heard uh, Chandler Moore singing about God's faithfulness. I'm like, why am I crying right now? I have four boys from 16 to 2 years old. Uh, my, my oldest, he's always like, you need to spank them little kids. I'm like, I can't. They're so cute. The little ones are like, shut up. I was like, look at how adorable he is. All the young parents, how could you be the pastor with a little rebellious kid like that? I don't know. He's just got curly hair and he's so cute. Oh, there he is writing on the walls. You know, it's real bad when you go to people's house. I don't do this. I don't even do this. But you so love your kids. They're like jumping on other people's furniture. And you're like, how adorable. And the parents are like, man, we just spent $20,000 on those couches. Get your kids off. For God so loved the world. Like you're, 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 you're adorable to God. Like you're mad at God right now, but he's like, how cute are you? You little human, you. I don't want anything to do with you, God. Aw. Okay, let's take a little nap, buddy. You're going to get better. God, I hate you right now. Here's some milk and cookies. You'll be fine. I'm the creator of the universe. Your father, I love you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. I like the odds here. God does three things. He loves, he gives, he saves. That's the story of God. He loves, he gives, he saves. That whosoever, and if you look around, you're looking at the whosoever's. Whosoever. The, the people you don't want to invite to your Christmas gathering, whosoever believes, is persuaded by the love of God. God rewrote the text of my life when I opened the book of my heart to his eyes. Today, if somebody's here and you're like, I think I'm in a season where there's a blank page and pages have turned and I'm tired of being the author and I'm, I'm tired of trying to determine the outcomes, but I want God to be the author and finisher of my faith. Would you just raise, raise your hand real quick so I can see who you are? If you raise your hand, could you come here? I want to give you something really quick. Come on, get on up. Can you give me a few of those? My wife and I, we brought you guys some Christmas gifts. And they're cheap, but there's so many of you, it got expensive. So if you want to bless me back, you can. I'll give you my Venmo account if you'd like to give me a gift as well. This, what I wanted to write to you is <clears throat> Grace rewrote my story. And I want this to be a pen for you as you're going through life and as you're on the journey. 
to always remember that God is the author and finisher of your faith. And when your pages, your story seems incomplete, and when there's some things in there, you're like, ooh, how'd I make it through that one? Oh, y'all coming up for the pen. All right, I got you. God rewrote the text of my life when I opened my heart to him. God rewrote the text of my life when I opened my heart to him. God rewrote the text of my life when I opened my heart to him. Where's the Alexia family? Can y'all come up here? There's, there's a picture I have today, if, if they can throw that on the screen, of my son Grayson, who's 11 years old now. This was um, in 2011. It was his 33rd day in the NICU, and this is a better condition of him. He had died for 29 minutes. And so I wanted to, felt this in my heart. Who wrote this letter? I want to give you guys a pen today. wrote over it. My handwriting's terrible, but I want to give it back to you. I just wrote over three times grace for each of you. Grace, rewrite your story. How old is Alexia? 21. If you can, can you give this one to Alexia? Father, once again, we pray that you rewrite the story. Father, in the name of Jesus, with heavy hearts, with hearts of concern, you rewrite the text of our life. So we pray for divine healing and favor, God. We pray for encouraged hearts, peace. Holy Spirit, minister to their hearts in the name of Jesus. And for each of you that have come up here, God rewrote the text of your life when you open. Take another one. I pray over you today. Just open your heart. God, I open my heart. He is the author and finisher of my faith. Man, what a life to live. A surrendered life unto the author. I'm just the character. I'm not the author. A surrendered life unto the author and finisher of our faith. I want it to be deep all the time, but I remember being at Sunday school and they taught me a song that said, Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him below. They are weak. We are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Oh, yes, Jesus loves me. Oh, yes. 
Some of y'all went to Sunday school. That's cool. If you didn't go to Sunday school, let this be your first one. If you don't remember anything else, yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, the Bible tells me so. He loves us. Oh, how he loves us. Oh, how he loves us. Oh, how he loves. He loves us. Oh, he loves us. Oh, he loves us. Oh, how he loves. Father, would you repeat this prayer after me? Jesus. I love you because you first loved me. I receive you because you first received me. You are the author and finisher of my faith. You are my Lord and my Savior. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Would you give God a hand clap of praise?